You are listening to the People-Centric Podcast, where we talk through the toughest challenges that people face at work and give practical advice to fixing those challenges. Thanks for joining our movement to create workplaces that are happier, healthier, aligned, and empowered by putting people at the center of all that we do. Hey, people-centric leaders. We talk a lot about management here on this podcast, if you've heard this. If you're a manager, you've probably got some great management tips from our team about the things you should do and the things you should not do. If you're an employee, you've probably heard a lot of us talking about the people who manage you, and you've probably heard, maybe nudged your manager towards listening to our podcast a little bit as kind of a little gift to say, hey, please, please manage me differently. Listen to this one specifically. I'm just going to put this on the table. Please listen to this for a little bit. But we recognized as a team that we talk a lot about this idea of what we'll call old school management, like old school management. Now, we kind of recognized, though, as we think about old school management, that there's a lot of different generations working in the workforce. This is the first time really in history that there's four generations actively working together in the workforce. We go all the way back to boomers. We've got Gen X. We've got millennials. We've got Gen Z's all interfacing with each other. And we have extreme different perspectives on how to communicate, how to work with technology, all of those different things. So when we say, sometimes when we say old school management, sometimes we'll hear from people and they'll say, you know, was that so bad? What's so bad about old school management? So we thought we would spend time today talking a little bit about old school management and maybe what's not good. What are the things that we think that are old school that are bad, bad practices, the things that we've learned over the years to get better at, and then also some of the things that maybe aren't so bad about old school management. So that's going to be our focus for today. So if you're an employee and you're blaming your manager for being old school, don't blame them. It might be okay. You might be fine, right? Or maybe it's not so much and maybe you're going to nudge them towards our podcast. But we have four-fifths of our team here today. Bethany's out on assignment. I love to say that. It sounds like it sounds like she's out there out on In assignment. In the chopper doing traffic weather reports. She's doing chat. She's going to give us back. Bethany, are you with us? <laughs> nope, she's not. She's not. We lost signal with the... I can't believe we flew that into the hurricane. I think that was a little dangerous, but it's fine. She'll be okay. But we've got Diana joining us live from... Diana is out on location. I'm on location. I'm in Vegas right now in a Vegas uh, hotel room. Ta-da. Obviously you haven't won because you're still with us here today. That's um, yeah, I didn't hit a big I did put a dollar in a in a machine, one dollar, which allowed me to hit a button and nothing happened. Like I lost everything. You lost all of the money. I lost all my money instant. Vegas. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. yeah. And then you don't count that. And if you hit the button 27 more times and you win one of those times, you talk about the time that you won. That's how Vegas works. Well, I was very upset at losing a dollar. So I don't feel like I will be contributing much more <laughs> to these slot machines. Okay. Well, we're glad that you're joining us here from Vegas. We also have Stephanie with us. Stephanie's joining us from the office. I'm holding down the fort. Holding holding down the fort as some of us are (laughs) dealing with. We've got some COVID going through some of us, meaning mainly me, but I'm okay, guys. Don't worry about me. Not Matt, but we're okay. But Stephanie's holding down the office with us. And then we've got our fearless host, uh, Matt Griswold, who's fresh off the road from a road trip in Tennessee, working with some folks out there. But Matt, let's walk us through a little old school management stuff. What are we talking about here? 
It's funny, the clarification that we have to make, by the way, now with like COVID, as I was in Tennessee, because Don, you were supposed to be with me. We were going to be, you know, par partners just tearing up the state of Tennessee. I don't know what else to say about that. We are literally from coast to coast of Tennessee. Is that even a thing? Memphis to Chattanooga. And I had to say, Don was going to be with us, but he's he's got COVID. And then you kind of see everybody take a step back. And like, no, 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 I wasn't around Don. I work remotely. I'm not with I'm not with Don. So that was my standard introduction through the week. I appreciate that. Glad you're glad you're on the mend there now. So it, it struck me though, as we as I was specifically the last stop in Chattanooga, which kind of gave me this um, idea, but we see this a lot. You know, we we are very, very good at what we do. We're very, very good at leadership development, helping organizations be better, no matter what type of organization that they are. But we also recognize, uh, you know, sometimes we walk people to a point and we might say things like, yeah, you know, this generation is different than previous generations. And we don't necessarily get into all of that. Or we might say, stop old school management philosophy. That's old school and the up upcoming generation, like the generation C is very low tolerance for old school management philosophy. But then we don't don't really go into that and we, we kind of leave people on the edge of their seat going well what what is exactly what exactly does that mean what is old school management philosophy what exactly does that mean now as, as as we're going forward am i guilty of some of those things like is there some old school management stuff that i should not be doing and so we thought you know what let's help define what that looks like anyway let's help define some of these old school management traits See if you fall victim as you're listening. See if you or your organization falls victim to some of these things. And like Don said, we're going to say some of these old school, quote unquote, management philosophy things, they're not bad. And maybe you should continue to do some of these things too. So I'm going to throw a couple out here to the team. And we're just going to have a conversation around these things to see if you agree or disagree. Maybe old school management philosophy. And we'll talk about these things. But I'm going to start here with this idea of micromanaging. One of those buzzwords, I think, too. Uh, I don't want to be a quote-unquote micromanager. Now, first of all, how would we define, I'm going to throw it to whoever on the team wants this, so just be prepared with your mute buttons here. Uh, how would you define maybe micromanaging for the listener? I would define micromanaging as anything that you do with Diana. That's great. What? Well, she's tiny. She's small. She, I don't know if you know Diana, but oh. she's really little. Oh, I get it now. She's really short. I don't oh. know. That's I was going to agree with you until you said, until you justified why you said it. Uh, oh, but yeah. Okay. Oh, <laughs> no, I don't know. Micromanaging is the idea, I think, of leaning in and you have to tell the employees everything that you want them to do. So it's like, I will tell you what I need you to do, team, and then you go do it and then come back and ask me when you're ready for the next thing and I'll tell you what to do next. What do you think micromanaging, this idea of micromanaging, and Stephanie, I'll come right to you here as well, but I, you, you made me think of something. I wonder if micromanaging is, micromanaging is under this guise of old school management because maybe onboarding training orientation was not great. Also, it wasn't, didn't invest a lot of time in onboarding and orienting new people. So they had to, they kind of had to micromanage because they were learning the step by step by step on day one. Do you, do you think there's any relevancy to that? I just had that thought. I'm just curious any feedback. I think I agree with that. I think in organizations where we see a lot of micromanagement, that maybe people really weren't trained particularly well when they came into their jobs or their role descriptions aren't very clear. So there's this general feeling of just a little bit of chaos that's always happening that I think then leads even some great managers to start hovering over people. I mean, I think the root of it for me though, if I'm sharing my perspective, honestly, is it's control. And I think if we're talking about a generational gap here, in my experience, organizations that have a high level of micromanagement are sometimes when the person running the organization was the person who started 
the organization. And now they've got a lot of people under them of different generations. And it's a little hard to let go of the grip and trust people to kind of take over your baby, so to say. So there's a lot of like, well, that's not how I would do it. And so I need you to redo it because I would have done it this way. And kind of this assumption that, that that's how it's always been done a little bit of an idea and wanting to control all parts of the business and process. Yeah, and I agree with you, Steph. I think part of the old school part of micromanagement, because old school micromanagement is not owned by just any one generation. We see managers make that mistake a lot in terms of giving. We see all generations make that error. But I think the fundamental old school part of that is this idea of hoarding information. Like I know I've been around for a long time, so I know the thing and you don't know the thing. So if you need to know the thing, you have to come to me for the thing but I'll tell you what I need you to know. I mean, I've heard, I've heard managers literally say like, I'll tell the people when they need to know something. And so we tend to hoard stuff. We don't share financial information. We don't share, there's a kind of an old school idea of like, there's just information you don't share with employees. We don't talk about performance on a big scale. I'll let you know how we're doing that kind of thing. Can, can micromanagement and Don, uh, this is kind of a piggyback to your thought that you just had there. Can micromanaging come from a positive place? Like, I think we think micromanager is this person that just towers over you. Like, no, 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 do this now, do this now, do this now. But I think I've also met some micromanagers, pretty, pretty, pretty uh, powerful or mega micromanagers that think they're helping. Like I'm doing it because I'm kind and I'm trying to help them succeed. Yeah, I don't think most people manage badly because they come from a bad place right? Most people think that they're doing it for a good reason. Like I have to do it that way because my people really need me. And because when I go to them and I give them all the instructions, if I don't give them the next set of instructions, they come back to me because they wonder what's going on. And we say, well, that's because you train them to do it that way, right? You train them. If you're saying, if I tell you all the things you need to do, and then I set you off to go do those things, and then you come back and I don't tell you anything next, you're going to pause. You're going to wait and say, okay, well, what, what, what do I do next boss? You need to tell me. There's a good book called Multipliers that talks about that. It's this idea that good supervisors multiply the intelligence of their people by allowing them to solve problems versus telling them the answers to all the problems. Whenever we do that, when we manage people by telling people the answers to the problems, we make them effectively dumber at work. We train people to shut their brains off. Don't solve problems. The, the, the solution to whatever problem you have is come see me and I'll tell you what the answer is. Yeah, so we're saying micromanaging uh, falls into that old school management philosophy because it was very, very common and we still see people. And again, I think you're right. It's not necessarily a generational thing. We we do see lots of different generations wanting to have more of a control over what is being done and taught and processed and things like that. But I, you know, the, the, the other side of that is, man, if I can engage the people along the way, asking for their input, maybe even running down some of the some of the processes the way that they would prefer to do it, I probably have a more effective team. I have a more engaged employee. I have somebody who also understands why we're doing what we're doing, maybe just a little bit more clearer than sitting and waiting for all of my directions. So I don't think we necessarily need to spell out the other side of, of okay, so uh, why is that bad? What would we do instead? Because that's where we spend most of our time. I think we're really drawing out, okay, here's some maybe things to watch out for. So anything else to add to the micromanaging one before we go forward? I think another piece to that, Matt, if we're going to the root of it, as Stephanie was kind of alluding to a little bit is I think that the other old school idea is that you don't have to work to be a manager. You earn your management position by your tenure, how long you've been there and by how much you know, and not by how much you know about how to manage people. 
I think that's that's a very that's an that's an old school mindset, which often leads to micromanaging or maybe undermanaging sometimes too. There's the other side of that, right, of passive managing and only telling people when they really screw up uh, right. or something. Diana, what were you gonna add? I was gonna add that I I do want to say there is a t- a time and place for micromanaging. I know that sounds crazy. Just roll with me for a second. There's something called the situational leadership model, right? And it's based on who you're talking to and what you're trying to get them to do. And so sometimes if it is a brand new employee and you're training them on something, the micromanagement probably does apply right there. But if you're micromanaging everyone all the time for everything, you're doing it wrong. Like that's, so there is a time and place for that. Yeah, I I agree with that. You know, we have one of the trainings that we go through talks about leadership styles and it talks about like this authoritative leadership style. The one, the authoritarian is the one who doesn't need any input from from anybody else because they have the direction, right? I'm not really setting up a committee. We're just going, we're leading. And we talk, we paint it kind of in a way of like, if I say, okay, so how many of you typically lead with the authoritarian style? Then a lot lot of people want to raise their hand. They're like, oh, that sounds like it's a bad thing. But it's not always a bad thing. There are moments like Diana just talked about where uh, it is a good thing. So sometimes we do have to put that authoritarian uh, hat on the other two styles. So I don't leave people hanging. The democratic style is the one where, you know, I want input from everybody. Let's form a committee. If we're going to make a decision that not only impacts this, but maybe a couple of different groups, I need to involve the people along the way to be able to hear how they feel about it before we make any decisions. The democratic style, again, time and place uh, for that hat. And then the last one is the laissez-faire. Uh, is the laissez-faire, which if I could just tie a bow on it, one of the leaders that I was with this week said that they don't want to micromanage people so much to a point to where they know they can come to me if they need anything. And he went almost all the way to laissez-faire because of his fear of micromanaging. And what the reality was, as we were with the people, the people were like, no, I would appreciate just a little bit more hands-on. Like we never know if we're succeeding or failing. You know, and so you can, there's a, there's a lot of space between laissez-faire and totally authoritarian, totally uh, micromanaging. So finding that sweet spot, but I would say if you're, if you think that you're in that spot, or maybe you don't know, start having those conversations with your folks and seeing maybe how it is that you're leading and what you could do to, uh, to maybe better lead those people. That might be a good first step to identify if you are in that micromanaging bucket and if you need to turn it up or, or, or uh, maybe turn that down. So uh, I have others here, but I'll throw it to the team. Uh, which what what else would you say? What's the next one? Maybe we would throw out there as as far as an old school management take. I think Don touched on it just a little bit, but it's the idea of I'm not going to tell you what you need to know until you need to know it. That like hoarding of information, maybe a little like knowledge is power, so I'll keep the power type dynamic thing happening. But that I'm not going to tell you what what you need to know until you really need to know it. Yeah, like the idea of sharing profits, right? Like I'm going to tell you how much profit we're making, like to even discuss profit. Like that's a very, there, there's an old school philosophy about that, that you do not talk about profit. Don't use the key. Oh, and and, and when, we're, when we're talking about that stuff too, we're talking about money. It's like, how come? So you can throw it out to the group. Don, I know you've done this the same way that I've done it too. Like, because if we're making money, what does everybody want? And everybody can kind of shout it out at the same time. They're like, they want to raise. Like, right. If we're if we're not doing well, what are they gonna do? They're gonna quit. Like you feel like you feel like you're stuck. I can't tell them anything because because of those things. And I think the newer generations that are coming up and the way the workforce has changed is no, 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 knowledge is power. Diana just talked about that, but knowledge is power a different way. 
Like, what if I'm able to be a little bit more transparent with the things, especially like the, the financial stuff? We're not saying to disclose the company secrets or anything like that. If you feel like, you know, we work with companies to be able to create the kind of uh, keeping score of the things that we need to keep score of the, the, with still protecting people. But, but at the same time, man, if I'm able to equip people with just a little bit more knowledge, the workers today want to help you succeed. We don't give them enough information to help you succeed. And so how do we give them a little bit more information and create a space for them to have thoughts too? Diana? Yeah, I always say knowledge is power. So make everyone more powerful. Teach everybody. Tell, teach them new skills. Show them what you know. Tell them what's in your head. And if you're doing that and they're learning from you and through you, you're making everyone more powerful in those moments. Why would you not? Why would you want a group of people that were not powerful? around you. I don't understand it. Yeah. Now there's a process for all of that. So some of you are listening or you're like, you know what? You're right. If you just go pass out your QuickBooks passwords, everybody on <laughs> your employees right now, that's going to end badly. Like there's a process for bringing people into that world. You can, It's not just the transparency, it's the context around it. And I think that's the piece that old school is like, I'll share the context when you need it. Newer school is to say, no, I'm going to share the context because you need it and you'll make better decisions along the way. And because we're motivated as humans better when we have that. So I yeah. think that's part of it. And the financial information is part of that, but our other things are part of that too. I think that's another old school kind of related thing to what Diana talked about before is the idea of not even sharing your own vulnerability, you know, not being vulnerable as a leader. Yeah. I'm not going to share when I'm struggling with something. I'm not going to share that I'm sick. You know, those kinds of things are things that, that, that the old school philosophy is I'm going to keep that to myself and works, just do work stuff. Yeah, the, 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 the idea of uh, check your personal life at the door, now it's time to go to work, I think is very old school management philosophy. We talk about that quite a bit, you know, especially the younger generation and, and, you know, all of us to an extent, we want to be recognized and valued as people who have lives outside of the company that we're also working for. And if you're wondering, man, how do I get the best version of this employee, probably start by recognizing that they're a person with hobbies or, or families or pets or, you know, whatever outside of the organization to be able to engage them on that level. And the ripple effect is a lot of times you're going to get a person that works harder for you because they feel valued as a person before a number ever. Uh, and this is a difficult thing too, you know, so how do you do that? I mean, we have to start with the transparency and just, just setting aside some time and having a conversation with them, I think is a good first first step towards that. You know, this this kind of tiptoes into the idea of, of uh, delegation as well. Uh, Diana, you said knowledge is power, so let's make everybody more powerful. I think we view delegation, and we've done a podcast about this before, but I think we, we view delegation as just, let me scrape all the crap off my plate that I don't want to do, instead of recognizing the people that I have and done, you know, you have that executive quicksand uh, topic there where recognize it's not just my plate, it's our plate. Like we're all accountable to accomplish these things. And man, if I can delegate some stuff to some people on my team that are powerful in that space already, start giving them more opportunities. Um, you know, is it my goal as a manager to create the most powerful team that I can possibly create? I mean, isn't that part of what that looks like at the same time? Yes. I think so. I want that. I want that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I the goal that. is... If I if I don't have that, if I am managing that, if I'm eating off of my own plate and it's just my plate, I'm probably exhausted and I probably despise the people that are also working for me because I don't feel like they work hard enough. I think I think sometimes that starts uh, starts from a a very what's the word you know from a positive like I'm the boss. This is what I'm supposed to do, but you don't recognize like the newer generation, the newer generation of, of workforce, especially your highly engaged ones. They're looking for other opportunities outside of the thing that you just hired me for because I'm smart and I'm capable and I have other things to offer too. I recognize yeah, something. 
Oh, go ahead, Stephanie. Sorry, go ahead. Diana. I didn't see you on mute. Um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Matt, something that you just said, I feel like hit home for me of that idea of looking around the room and be like, I'm working harder than everyone else. And I think that comes from a lack of communication of when you don't have those regular check-in points, you don't have that cadence with your team of how we can all share what we're working on, how we can all ask questions, how we can express maybe there is too much on our plate, or maybe there's not enough. Like maybe I want to be challenged more in my role. I think it, it just all kind of tie, ties into that. And that's that old school management style of I'm going to take it all on my shoulders. I'm going to do this because I'm in this leadership position, because I'm in management. I need to show no weakness, no vulnerability. And really, I mean, what you're doing is just modeling that for the rest of, of your team. And then I think you start seeing cultures where sometimes people are getting physically sick because we're actually never taking the time off that we need. We're not taking care of ourselves. We're not taking care of each other. People start getting toxic in different ways because then you can easily start pointing fingers at what everyone's doing wrong. And then every meeting feels like a performance review instead of hey, we're all just here to actually talk about what's going on this week and how we can all support each other, how we can make sure we're actually accomplishing our goals. Yeah, I think that idea, you know, we've talked about work-life balance is an old school topic and now work-life integration is a more newer school topic, right? I think it's related to all of that stuff too. It's like, I'm going to tell you what you need to know because of where you're at. But then I think that the old school idea of like, well, I pay you and that's the thank you that you get is another aspect of that right? I'm gonna, I, I pay you. What else do you need? I don't need to tell you you're doing a good job. The paycheck, yeah. the paycheck clear. It's fine. You know, I think that's, that's an older school idea as well that we kind of push against because people do need that feedback. They do need to know whether they're doing, they're being successful or not. We're hardwired for that. That's never been a good practice. I think we just, we talked about this. Uh, boomers just used to tolerate it more than that's, it still works good to tell your people when they're doing a good job and when they're not too, by the way. Yeah, I like the air quotes. Thanks for coming to work today. Here's the money that you agreed to accept by accepting the job in the first place. I don't understand. I thought this was very transactional. Why are we, uh, whatever, uh, whatever. You know, we we do, there's a topic that we do quite a bit right now that, you know, for the last year and a half, it seems like it's been asked for over and over again, but hiring and retaining the right talent. Uh, people are curious about how, how am I supposed to go about hiring these people? I can't find talented people. They just don't want to work. That's not true. Like the reality is uh, the unemployment levels are very, very low. So they're choosing to work. They're just choosing not to work for you. So where are they going? Like, what are those things? You used to be able to, I think old school management philosophy said, you know what, we're going to pay them, pay them a fair wage. Uh, we might even offer, and I say old school, I mean, 10 years ago, you used to be able to say, uh, we have health insurance. Uh uh we have dental insurance who does that right am i right you are living high up there you had vision there's a quarterly pizza party there's a ping pong table what more could you want yeah we have hawaiian shirt fridays so if you want casual friday casual fridays yeah we may or may not have heard these as real life examples. Uh, you know, we might be stepping on the toes of the people that are listening right now, but these are things that we hear. And I think it's telling whenever you are in a room, maybe, you know, if you're a business owner, you talk to other business owners. I, I love to do this with groups of professionals as I am leading these sessions. And I say, hey, how many of you are offering, you know, health insurance? And it's almost like they they smirk a little bit like, yeah, of course. How many of you are offering dental or vision? Whole weeks of paid time off. <laughs> Paid time off. Yep. They get, and they, only work, they only have to work for a year before they get that. 
uh, and then they're in the circle, right? Uh, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it feels like we're being more tongue in cheek, but we do hear these things a lot. And we, you know, because we hear both sides of this, you know, and, and being able to say, how many of you offer for dental? How many of you offer vision? How many of you offer health insurance? How many of you offer 401k matching? Right. That's that was the that was the biggest thing. Right. And then and then you turn. I say, OK, keep your hands up, stop and turn around. And 100 percent of the people in the room are also doing that, too. So what else? What else are you doing to maybe attract the folks? And sometimes it's these thinking, not necessarily the old school management, but part of the new school management is I got to get creative with some of these benefits that I'm that I'm offering. I got to I got to know the people just a little bit uh, at, at a higher level so I can recognize them the way that they want to be recognized. What am I doing differently that? Yeah. What am I doing differently that that others are not doing currently? And, and you know, and be able to to think outside of the box and and be able to manage them proactively in kind of a new new uh, uh, school management and leadership way. What are some of the things? Let me throw this out there. What are some of the things that that people still do that might be considered old school management philosophy? But we would say oh, that's okay. You can maybe keep doing that. Any thoughts there? I like, you know, one of the things that I was talking to a, a business owner I respect a lot who is in his 80s. And one of the things that he said is, why don't people have good conversations anymore? He's like, when something comes up, he's like, I will read these long email exchanges and I'll go back and forth and no one's hitting like, why don't you just walk across the <laughs> jump on the phone call? Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Matthew Griswold. I still use you as an example for that. Sorry, Don. I didn't mean to derail wow. you. Who loves themselves? I'm going to defend myself in just a minute. Who loves some oh, LinkedIn ahead, email? Don. Oh, yeah. Lengthy email. Don't talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, for Matt, a lengthy email is more than one sentence. So, just <laughs> know that. so there's a little bit of a varying dif differences here on what that looks like. But I think that, I mean, I think that old school philosophy, like just pick up the phone, let's have a conversation. Can we talk this out? Those types of things are really, really powerful. I think that's absolutely, those are, those are good old school ideas. You can't solve everything through social media. You can't solve everything through emails. Or chat, like sometimes the chat is quick and it's effective, but sometimes you really do need to speak to that person, hear their inflection, maybe see their face, like you just need to speak to that human being. Now to defend my long emails, I usually will have a discussion about said email and follow up with a bulleted email so that the information is all captured. I like that. Jerk well. face. Good to know what you like. It's good to know what you like. I, I prefer video calls so I can see how the nonverbals do. It is it huh? is telling, Don. Is I also doing. like those little caramels you put in your bag. When you're on the road, I like the salmon candy that you carry yes. in your purse. They're wonderful. Okay. Maybe I'm 85 trapped in a 40 year old's body. I don't know, but I'm rolling with it. Okay. It is, you know, we, we talk about this and I'll ask people, you know, we do communication styles quite a bit. Uh, it's a popular team builder workshop thing that we do. And I'll say, what types of methods of communication do we have now? And they'll, they'll say, they'll say things like email. They'll say things like text. They'll say uh, instant messaging. Uh, they'll say social media. They'll say four or five things before it ever, ever done to your point gets around to, I guess we can like we can call people still, right? Like I can pick up the phone and call people and talk to people. Like that's just kind of the way of the world right now. But that is maybe one of those quote unquote old school management philosophies that we would say, no, I think people still, people still desire that to a certain point. 
I'll put, I'll tag on like a corollary to that one too. So sometimes when people insist like, no, 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 I want to answer the phones like in our office or things like that, there's some real insight into that. Like that's really good. So sometimes just because it's an older way of doing something doesn't mean it's a bad thing. And a lot of times people through experience have learned why that's so valuable and why sometimes the technology that's available to be able to overcome some of those challenges isn't always the best way to do it. I think, I think if it's a burden also for you still to talking to people, sorry, I'm still laughing about the old caramels that I had in the glass. <laughs> That's still in my mind. But I think if you're having a hard time overcoming that, like I try to talk to my people, they never say anything. I try to ask them questions. They never say anything. Maybe it's, maybe this is a hard truth. Maybe it's your approachability or maybe we're not asking the right questions. And so maybe you need kind of a framework to help you have those conversations um you know whatever whatever that is like there's tools available to help you have those conversations we're simply saying that the conversation is very very valuable i will say matt you have helped me realize that it doesn't matter what's going on if you call me and i don't feel like i'm ready to talk to you sometimes i would just like skip the call i'd be like no no no, i'm not ready for that but now i just get on the phone and i'm like i don't i haven't thought through that enough man i know what you're going to ask me i know what we're talking about and I just don't know yet. I, I don't know, but but we can still talk about it and that's okay. And you're fine with me saying, I don't know, you're fine with me walking my dog and talking to you. Like you just you just value the voice and the and the scene more yeah, than I, I agree. And, and you know, and sometimes the fact that you don't know also helps me. So then, okay, so I'm, I'm not a step ahead here. I can maybe help try to figure that out then, unless you already yeah. know exactly what it is. I think, I think it's just, I think it's just valuable. It drives me nuts. Can I just an aside, just an aside, like I'm going to talk about my wife for just a second. I know she's not on here, but she will much prefer, she will much prefer sending a series of text messages through a course of 25 or 30 minutes as we're en route to someplace. What are we supposed to bring? What are we supposed to bring for food or what? Like, you know, like she'll send a series of text messages that could have, I swear, been handled in a 30 second phone call. Why didn't we just call them and have a 30 second conversation? Why yeah. are we waiting? Uh, you know, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? I don't know. They haven't texted me back. Pick up the phone and call them. And I think sometimes we get stuck in that at work at the same time. I don't oh. know why she doesn't do that, but it's probably something you did, Matt. My money's on Rianne on this 100%. <laughs> no. Just probably. so you know. Mine is so you know. too. I'm sorry, bud. Mine is too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Any other things that you would add here for the old school, but we would say they're still positive as we start moving to wrap up? We've been chatting for I mean, a while now. Oh, Stephanie, go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, I think Don sort of touched on it when he said, or maybe it was you. I don't, I don't remember who said it now, but it was like, if it's not a burden and it's still successful, just because it's old doesn't mean it's not good. So like if you created something or sold something or did something a certain way and it's still really working, maybe you don't need to change it just for the sake of change. Like just look at, is it a burden? Is it a problem? Is it holding you back? And if it's not, cool. Like maybe it doesn't need to be innovativized. Innovized? How, what is that word? It doesn't need to be changed. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't need to be changed. <laughs> You're talking about innovativation, is what you're talking about. Innovation. There's you don't need the innovativation. Yeah, that's it. all the time. That's the word. <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right. I think sometimes when we work with organizations, and I and I've talked to especially boomers who have talked about this, is because of the communication methods sometimes that boomers will choose to use or things like that. Sometimes the information behind the communication is written off. 
like they sent a letter, they brought it up something in a meeting or something. And I'm telling you something like people who have been around in business for a long time have a lot of knowledge. They've forgotten things that we haven't learned yet. In some, it's a lot of cases. It you would do well to to listen and to work past some of the if there's some of the way that it's delivered. Uh, if it's not delivered the way that you like it delivered, like be flexible a little bit. Otherwise, you're kind of being old school, so to speak, because that's one of the right. one idea of being old school is being inflexible. Like, no, I like it this way. I don't like it this way. Sometimes I see Gen Zs at work who are inflexible about their communication style. Like, I don't want you to call me. Send me, why'd you leave me a voicemail? I'm not listening to a voicemail. You know, send me an email or a text message. And it's like, why is that so much different than not listening to a, you know, somebody knocking on your door or something like that? Like be flexible and then respect that knowledge that's there. There's a lot of it. And by the way, let me say one more thing on that. Let me, I'm on my soapbox. We're going to have a massive labor shortage coming. We've talked about this before. Companies are going to have to figure out how to work with boomers for a long time. And we're going to have to be outside of our box to figure out how to bring retirees back into the workforce and give them a lot of flexibility. The things that actually some of them are complaining about giving to others, they're going to be wanting to get them back into the workforce to say, yes, you can have as much vacation if you want to, if you'll be willing to work part-time for us, because we're going to really need your knowledge and your experience inside the workforce. So it's going to be kind of interesting. I think this is going to come back around because we need boomers to work. Otherwise stuff's going to shut down. That's I, I yeah, I, I totally agree. And we talk about that quite a bit. I think we, that, that was a good summary there from Don and Diana as well. Let me give Stephanie an opportunity. What's one takeaway. Maybe you would also leave us with here with this idea anywhere on the topic, Stephanie, wherever you want to go. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that one word that keeps coming to mind for me is just like clear expectations. Right. And I think that's something that maybe you know, old school management took to a, a form of rigidity, right? Of there were tons of rules. But then to Matt's earlier point about the laissez-faire culture, I feel like sometimes I see younger managers who are so afraid for there to be any rules and, you know, they really want to be liked and admired by everyone they work with. So it's a fear of like putting any of those rules into place. And so I think that's one thing that we can kind of take, take a little bit of each side from, right. Of like, people need to know what is expected of them when they come into work. And I think looking at the labor market that we're going to have, I think we're going to have to be more and more upfront about those expectations as managers and as employers, because when the job market continues to get more and more competitive, people want to know, how am I going to be treated? What do you actually expect of me? How much time can I take off? And how does that policy actually function while at the same time, they want that flexibility. They want to have that interpersonal relationship with their managers, be able to call and share about what's going on in their life, be able to put therapy appointments on the calendar, like they would the dentist, you know? So I think that's things that is coming to mind for me of where we can pull, pull good from both sides of really just making sure our teams actually know what we expect of them, how they can be successful at work and, and the type of relationship that we want to have with them as a great manager. Yeah, don't be don't be afraid to co-create some of those expectations with the people too. You don't have to think of all of them there. I could think some of, oh, absolutely. some of the expectations and rules that you have are probably probably hurting you and you might not know it because it's been there forever. We were literally, I'm not going to say where or who it was, but we were literally at an organization and in the restroom, on the restroom door, it actually said, on the restroom door going into it, it said, no cell phones. It was a Xerox copy page on, on the restroom, no cell phones. And I thought, that's kind of a 
<laughs> it's kind of a weird rule. But then you walk in and, you know, leadership is on cell phone in, 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 the, in the room. And I probably understand why it's there. I'm guessing they don't, you know, maybe it's an efficiency thing. I don't know, but it seems kind of, seems kind of silly that you have to manage it. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Efficiency. It's probably been there for so long that they don't even recognize it anymore. You know, it, like it's just, that's always, it's always been there, but I'm telling you as like a new employee, if I were a new employee at first day in the building, I'm like, that's kind of strict, isn't it? Like, what's that? What's that look like? Well, your brain starts going towards all kinds of weird theories. You can come <laughs> up with assumptions you could make for that. Rule, so, yeah. And many people were not actually following the rule. So why, why have it there? You know, and so maybe, maybe co-creating some of those expectations. Uh, and if you do have an expectation, maybe explaining the why is it there and evaluating, is it something that I really still need there? I don't know. Why, what, what, why was it originally there? So maybe I would, Maybe for sake of time, I would piggyback Stephanie and say, I'm all about creating the expectation. Maybe just co-create the expectation, bring them along for the ride. You can have all the great ideas and all the direction and all the success in your previous experience, but if you don't bring them along for the ride, you're going to lose them. So how do I bring them along for the ride, the team along for the ride, uh, I think is a new school management philosophy too. So hope you enjoyed the topic uh, today. Lots of fun. I did kind of like how we, for a couple of minutes, we kind of went aside and started talking about some of the things that we do here. And maybe it's time that we do a whole nother podcast about, let's just be candid and say, these are the things that we hear. Don't do that. Don't do this. Um, those, those are kind of a fun, fun episodes to do too. But lots of different ways you can get a hold of us if you'd like to uh, give us different topics or give us feedback or ask questions. Diana, how can they, how can they go about doing that? Everything is in our in outro. So you can listen to that to get all of us. But there is so many ways. And we really do love hearing from you. So please, please, please reach out. Yeah, we love it. If you see us out and about, feel free to approach us. If you want to reach us on social media, feel free to approach us. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you're able to take at least one thing from this episode to apply and share with your friends. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the People-Centered Podcast. We are so grateful for you joining us every week. If you like this content, please like and subscribe. Also, feel free to share on your social media with everyone that you know. It really does help us. If you would like to contact us, I have put our information in the show notes. Please reach out anytime. We love hearing from you. We will be back next week with a new topic. Until then... Be well and we